0: Hey! Welcome back to Intimate Interactions. Let's get back to discussing the ways we share love and intimacy with our fellow humans. Relationships, kink, polyamory, group sex. It's time to unlearn stigma and live our best lives as our best selves. All thanks to my amazing Patreon supporters. Intimate Interactions has no ads but this one. If you want to keep it that way, you can go to patreon.com slash victorsalmon. You get access to exclusive premium content like all of my coping with jealousy stuff. And hey, if that makes you jealous of my patrons, it sounds like it might be time to sign up. Free resources are available at victorsalmon.com resources, and book recommendations are at intimatepodcast.com forward slash books. Also, my Patreon supporters don't have to listen to this ad. Now, let's talk about the episode. Prison, gender, and addiction. In this episode, I catch up with a childhood friend. Intimacy is almost always a fun topic for me, but to understand intimacy, sometimes we have to understand how it fails. It can be helpful to talk about things that get in the way. And rarely do I get a chance to talk to somebody about niche topics like prison reform. Jana is very passionate and lovely and is doing amazing and important scholarship in prison reform. So I thought, let's talk about addiction, something Jana has personal experience with, and let's talk about prison reform and gender and things that get in the way of intimacy. So I hope you enjoy this session of Intimate Interactions. Okay, so I will intro the session. Perfect. So I'll welcome everyone to another session of Intimate Interactions. I have with me my guest, Jana Skorstengard, did I say that right? You did. Wonderful. <laughs> who is a childhood friend of mine and who is currently doing a lot of research in criminology for her master's thesis. Yes. How well, close my honors,
1: I'm going for my master's.
0: Oh, yes. I see. So you're writing your honors thesis for your undergrad? Yes. And then you're going to be a soon, soon you're going to be a master's thesis. And candidate.
1: expanding that research for my master's.
0: Wonderful. Yes. And doing very necessary research from what I can yes. tell. I hope so. I think so. Yeah. I mean, whether it's used or not is a separate question (laughs) from how necessary it
1: (laughs) is. Can I get money for it?
0: I don't know. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Will you please, please fund this?
1: Please. It's so important.
0: Right. Um, And that's at Kwantlen? You're thinking of going to University of Ottawa?
1: Yes, I have applied. Yes. Cool. Fingers crossed.
0: You are published already? Yes. You're on the executive board, or you're an executive board member for the Kwantlen Prison Justice Club? Yes. So there's essentially a criminology club, I'm taking it?
1: Yes. Um, Awesome. And we do prison justice issues, um, things like solitary confinement, Mm -hmm. isolation, um, even talking about conditions like mold, cramped spaces, overcrowding, things like that, Mm -hmm. Um, and just try to educate people on prison issues and how shitty prison is.
0: I mean, that's an important thing to educate (laughs) people on. Would you say that people typically have a reasonable understanding of how shitty prison is, or do you think people are typically pretty uninformed?
1: I think people look at it like they look at it in the movies. Um, and documentaries and things like that. So so they assume anyone
0: innocent will just crawl through a a sewer system and get out and be fine and live happily ever after.
1: totally fine. And that innocent people never go to prison. Of course not. Yeah, so that's the kind of stuff that we try to advocate for.
0: And the interesting thing about innocence is talking about, like, the spirit versus the letter of the law. Yes. Like, how many people might be guilty by the letter of the law, but... Most average folks may not even think that they should be exposed to the kinds of situations they're exposed to. Yes. Rather than looking at something written down saying people who do X should get X number of years Mm -hmm. or Y number of years. Yeah. It's more like this person has a story. Here's how they got to where they are in life. Yes. Here's what they did. Here's how they feel about what they did. And here's the situation they're being exposed to and looking at like the humanity of that.
1: Yes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. There was a, a guy who came to talk to my um, community, correction, community corrections class. Um, he murdered, I think it was two men. Wow. Um, because they killed his sister.
0: Wow. Um,
1: who was indigenous. And he is also indigenous. Ooh. And the two men were white. And they were bragging about it in a bar.
0: Wow. Yes.
1: Um, and he, his, his background, his story, all the trauma informed what he did what he did and what happened um yeah. and he's he's out um he's on parole like for the rest of his life
0: which is to say we'll probably end up back in jail according to stats
1: i yeah it, it, like recidivism
0: is ridiculous yes
1: and unfortunately sh- he's involved in the community and he's got a lot of community support oh that's great so that's fantastic for him mm-hmm. so i'm just really hoping that
0: He's also quite. It sounds like like that sounds more like a crime of passion than anything else. Yes. So he's probably pretty disconnected from the types of things he'd be asked not to do on parole anyway. Yes. Yes. It's really different from people who go in on drug-related offenses. Exactly.
1: And yeah. murder. The recidivism rate for murder is actually quite low. I mean, which is remember.
0: which is good. When we say recidivism, we mean reoffense of yes, the same crime, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I was thinking more about going back into prison because of violating t- terms of parole. Yes. when I said recidivism. Is that not a correct use?
1: No, 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 that's correct. That is um, correct, okay. Yeah. But
0: recidivism for murder is quite low.
1: It's it, quite low, yeah.
0: Do you think that's possibly because of the stipulations put on parole for murderers?
1: I th- think that has something to do with it. I also think that a lot of murders are one-offs. Sure. You know, like, uh, which is I'm trying <laughs>
0: not to laugh at the term one-off. <laughs>
1: that's a bad way to frame it. Um, that's my bad. Uh, <laughs> no, a, a lot of murders are they're crimes of passion. They're, right. they're specifically targeting people. Um and once those people are gone, right. There's no more, you know.
0: Right. And like those people are already dead.
1: Serial killers are the exception to that, obviously. But Right. Yeah.
0: But they don't make up, I think, a large percentage of murderers. No, very small. Very, okay. very small. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how we have such a disproportionate view of things because of media and the way it yes. talks about these fringe cases.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, not to mention the way it represents BDSM. Yeah. It's like the only BDSM people get exposed to aside from Fifty Shades of Grey, oh, which is God. essentially an abuse story. The um, worst, which is not the same thing as consensual BDSM. No, um, but the only other exposure they get is like CSI. There was like some serial killer because those are super oh, common, yeah. who has like someone tied up at one point, and it's like, well, obviously he's a serial killer. He well, the, was doing BDSM.
1: The episode where they went to the the furry convention in Las Vegas. Oh Jesus
0: Christ! I didn't see it.
1: It don't don't see don't it. See don't it. expose yourself to that. It's it was a lot. Wow. And they just they were just making jokes. Really? Yeah.
0: Wow, It's really, it's
1: really disappointing.
0: I don't understand yeah. how in this day and age people can think that's okay.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it was 15 years ago or 12 years ago or something. Okay. Fair but enough. still, it doesn't hold up at all.
0: <laughs> yeah. We really are only just now seeing calls to action to do better. Like, yeah. I mean, the Me Too movement's only a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So like, we're only just starting to get to this place of people being like, we've got to do better. Yes. Did you see that Gillette commercial?
1: I did. I liked it.
0: I thought it was okay. And then I looked at the backlash. Oh, God. And I'm <laughs> stealing this joke from someone else. I'm not sure who originally, but someone was like, Gillette, you know, I think men can do better. Whole bunch of men, not all men. <laughs> oh,
1: God. Of course.
0: And I just thought it was like the best to frame the not all men as like men can do better, not all men. Not all men. <laughs> Because apparently some of them are going to be super upset at the notion that they should. You know, the funny thing about the t- phrase toxic masculinity, I was having this conversation um, with a man who shall remain unnamed yeah. um, just a couple nights ago. And he was saying, I don't mind the term so much, but it feels very pejorative. And I was like, the funny thing about toxicity is like toxic masculinity is harmful to men. Yeah. I mean, yes, it's harmful to the women and children, obviously, but... If you're talking with someone who's resistant to those ideas, it's like, battery, that's not my problem. It really is, yeah. though. It really is. Let's think about it for Let's, a second. Yeah, it's, <laughs> those are your moms and sisters, and yeah. like this is going to impact you. Yeah. Um, But they just don't quite see that. So Uh, then you can just talk about it in terms of like, well, it also is going to reduce your life expectancy and increase your suicide rate and make your quality of life garbage. Even if you don't show that to the world, your internal experience without emotional intelligence is going to be one that probably has more anxiety than it needs to and more depression, certainly. So... You can talk about toxic masculinity in terms of how does this harm men, Mm -hmm. and it's the same relevant conversation, and it's still going to positively impact women and children because you're just addressing it through a different lens. And it's like anything in sales. You want to frame what you're trying to impart to someone, Mm -hmm. the information you're trying to sell them, essentially, in terms that show them how it's in their best interest to address it. So when I'm talking with men, I'll often frame it as like, well, here are all the ways that toxic masculinity harms men. Like, why would we want to participate in something so Mm self-harming? Exactly. I mean, even if you, even if people take like a huge objection, regardless of their, you know, the misogyny they've been steeped in their whole lives, who really cares? The important thing is that they learn to address toxic masculinity. And I think that's something we can still do. Yep, totally. Even amidst all the other things getting in the way.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Because I think the important thing is we need to address it. And then once it's addressed, I think it'll be easier to tackle things like misogyny. But I also am extremely wary that I'm making a similar-ish argument Mm -hmm. to like the white feminists that were like, we need to get the vote first. Don't worry, black feminists. We're coming back for you. Jesus. (laughs) Many years later. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs)
1: Huh. Do you feel like we forgot something?
0: Nah, we're fine. I
1: still get very deeply uncomfortable and almost cringing when I see my liberal white feminists friends put up pictures of like the votes for women sign I'm like oh, oh you have to stop
0: yeah because like hashtag not all women how do you not know yeah yeah if you're gonna put up like here's when women got the vote make it when the last black and Aboriginal women got the vote Which so in that you Canada
1: can was like 1960 something it
0: was too late it yeah. was too late
1: way too late way too Disappointing which, which for us as a country.
0: It sounds disappointing until you look at Switzerland. Oh God! <laughs> I believe they got the vote in my lifetime. What? I'm serious. You can Google this, but I believe Switzerland nationally was like 86, with the last states caving in the in the early 90s slash late 80s. But we can we can
1: Google it. That actually like gives me a headache.
0: Should I not look it up right you sh- now? You
1: should. You should.
0: I'm gonna Google Switzerland women right to vote wiki on DuckDuckGo because I've started using it. <laughs> I'm not putting in a plug for them, but I kind of am. They're supposedly not going to Yeah. 1991. What? Yup. Oh my god. Women's suffrage in Switzerland. Oh my They gain women in Switzerland gained the right to vote after a federal election right after right in federal elections after a referendum in nineteen seventy one. In nineteen ninety one, following a decision by the Supreme Court, um and forgive me for the pronunciation. Appenzell Inner Hoden, something that sounds like that, that sounds right. became the last Swiss canton to get women the right to vote on local issues. Oh my god. So women had the right to vote in all but local issues until ninety one when they got the right to vote even in the most conservative. Switzerland, places. what
1: are you doing?
0: Yeah, we tend to love you as a country for all the other cool things you do, but yeah. like, holy shit. So I, the reason I know That's about this good. is because my grade 11 teacher, my math teacher, she was a woman teaching math yeah. who had, like, I'm pretty sure a degree in math and very much loved math. And when you think about when she would have been in school for math, it was all men in her. Yeah. Right. So like she was pretty activisty, and I like totally supported that. She was actually like a pretty rad human and mm-hmm. like really easy to talk to mm-hmm. and like not horrible as a math teacher, which is great. She like, like there were a couple of times when like I answered questions like I didn't understand when we were doing review at the beginning of a year. Right. Why she was asking us grade eight math questions in a grade 12 class and she literally said, like, right now I'm assessing the class I have so I can teach to who I've got in my classroom. And I was like, this is a math teacher saying this. I wish
1: all teachers did that. Just,
0: like, such a quality human. And she was talking about, at one point it came up, and she was talking about how we need to do better. Yeah. And that, like, women only got the right to vote in, in Switzerland in, like, like in the 90s, like, in the last place. Or in, in the late 80s, I think is what she said. And our Swiss exchange student fully said without putting his hand up, and if you ask me, it was too bloody soon. And I was like, how is this <gasps> a view still held in 2002?
1: Oh my god.
0: Yeah, so that's... So we we have problems, but the rest of the world has problems <laughs> too. And we're just sort of like dealing with the shit yeah. that like we were sort of given to deal with. Yeah. Awesome. I wanted to point out that we specifically tried... We specifically talked in advance of this um, session, and we yes. wanted to make sure that everything was evidence-based. So when you listen to Yana and I talking, please keep in mind that we're not just saying shit that we believe in because, you know, we're liberals. We're, we're saying, to the best of our ability, we're describing fact-based, yes. objective, evidence-based stuff. I just wanted to throw that in yep, there. Yeah.
1: I think that's important.
0: Especially when we get to like abolitionist thoughts, people oh. are gonna be like, What the hell's going on? And we're gonna yep. be like, We promise people we're talking about research. <laughs>
1: awesome. Talking about research or Foucault, I feel like. <laughs> research or which? Foucault.
0: <laughs> I actually <laughs> missed the reference. I'm so sorry. <laughs> is is I'm I'm gonna expose my ignorance here. Foucault was a French philosopher. A European philosopher. Um, A philosopher of any. I feel or <laughs> like
1: I'm, my supervisor is going to be so disappointed in me because I don't actually remember. Okay, that's okay. Hang Sometimes on. we. French philosopher. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Discipline and Punish is his probably, I right. would say, most famous work. Um, this is about the history of punishment and prisons in general. Interesting. Um, yeah.
0: I feel like. Not to, not to open up the enormous complicated issues of the UK and Northern Ireland, but the book that they went into that with might have been one of Foucault's books. Because I know that there, was, there were a couple of, and again, I'm so sorry for my ignorance on this, worth Googling, um, but they essentially took the stance during that occupation that if they just punished people enough, they would have to adhere to the rules. Yes. And what they found was that was not the case. Yes. The more inhumanely they treated people, the more they ground them into the dirt, the more they upset their needs for fairness and triggered in them this really primal human desire to fight To back. resist. Yeah. Even if that resistance looked like just not answering questions while being tortured.
1: I remember watching, um, I don't know if you've seen uh, The Wind That Shakes the Barley. It's about the Irish Revolution like 1919 to 1921 i think they this apparently this was quite common they would line people up outside of a, a building in the community and ask them for their names and a lot of them only spoke irish oh no and so if you responded with it, like in kind with in irish um you would be beaten you could be shot i mean there were so many like literally stripping their language away as the british love to do right to people right yeah
0: yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. It's a lot. Sounds yeah. like a really intense thing to...
1: It's a very intense movie. Yeah. I'd highly watch. recommend watching it, though. Yeah. Cool. Yeah.
0: That's good to know. That actually <coughs> that actually reminds me recently of um, the incident that happened at WCB. I don't want to go into too much detail, but it was in the uh, POC chill space. I mentioned this to you earlier. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. But there was an Irish gentleman that was talking about how Irish folks are people of color and they've experienced a lot of oppression and it was like okay like I can I can respect that Mm -hmm. you've experienced a lot of lowercase r racism like you've experienced a lot of discrimination based on your ethnicity it's not quite the same as being a person of color it's not quite the same as the level of oppression that like indigenous folks in this country have to deal with
1: every day
0: so it's like it's it's important to mention at least at least in that case like I always try and be humane and considerate mm-hmm. and compassionate when I'm having these conversations and just allow people their space to like okay like clearly you've had really negative experiences mm-hmm. and I can respect that there's been a lot of discrimination but also <laughs> don't be super angry at a whole bunch of POCs because
1: white folks haven't treated you well <laughs> like what? <laughs> I feel like the image of a white man yelling at a bunch of POCs yeah it was not b- not great probably not his best moment
0: probably not his best moment and I'm hoping that he knows that and
1: I hope so too wherever he is I hope he's learned something also. well the
0: organization did eventually apologize I won't say who they are, because I don't want to, like, shame them. And they did apologize. Well, that's... So at least they offered, like, a public apology for this person and all that. But, yeah. There was drama. (laughs) And there was real harm done. Yeah, totally. And and I think that's what some folks miss, (coughs) is, like, having that guy stand there and yell at a whole bunch of POCs who, like, may have experienced trauma where they were physically attacked by people. Yeah. um, And have him stand in the only exit and, like... Know. Oh,
1: the only exit.
0: Well, 'cause it was a hotel room, so oh God. literally came into the room but didn't leave the hallway, and just like yelled at folks.
1: Oh no!
0: And he was the only cis man in the room, so there's like oh. cis white guy standing in the only exit, being loud and angry and yelling at POCs and me, um, 'cause I am a POC, but you know, not black or indigenous, so there. I mean, not that there needs to be a hierarchy, but it's it's important to acknowledge that, you know, like, I'm not going to get shot by police tomorrow because mm-hmm. I don't live in the yeah. US and I'm not black. Yeah. Um, or that I'm not going to, I mean, I may receive some unfair treatment by the legal system, but, like, the amount of bias against me isn't going to be the same as if I were indigenous. Yeah. So it's like, it's worth noting that there are more marginalized voices in this conversation.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I will try and reset your <coughs> mic so that oh. you're a little closer, just because I'm concerned that some of your stuff is... I just don't want to whack you in the face
1: with that's this. That's okay. What? There we go. There you go. Okay, great. Cool. Yeah, that that's better. Is that yeah. better? It is. Is it working? Is, it is a little bit better. Okay, okay. perfect.
0: <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, awesome. I've completely forgotten what we were talking about. Uh, But we were sort of in the place of talking about, like, discrimination in the legal system. Do you want to talk about how different, how sentencing is supposed to work? Um, Or actually, you know what's even better? Let's just talk about how sentencing actually works based on, like, race and gender and, like, what the research has to say about it.
1: That's a big, big conversation um, that I feel like... I can only speak a little bit to, but I'll try my best.
0: That's okay. You can just speak to like what you've read and research, and like what your understanding of the field is, yes. and then just invite people to do their own research.
1: My, my basic understanding of the field is that, um, specifically in sentencing, courts attempt to look at the history, um, trauma, and things like that of Indigenous folks when sentencing them. But it depends on the court. They're supposed to look at supposed that thing. to. That's the key word. Supposed to. It depends on the court. It depends on the judge, mm-hmm. um, because a lot of them are old, white, and racist. Mm-hmm. Um, As evidenced by the recent case in Alberta, yes, where the
0: indigenous woman who was sexually assaulted was brought into the courtroom in in chains. That's disgusting.
1: Yeah, like that. That
0: honestly deeply upset me. I can literally google it for folks yeah. on the podcast cuz I think you should see that this is a thing that actually happens. It's so today. Um, yeah. This isn't like history. This isn't oh people should get over it. This is like no, they're contending with real harm yeah. right now in society and we should acknowledge that. Yes. It's not your fault. You don't have to feel guilty about it, but you should fucking acknowledge that yeah. people are suffering and it's it's worth it's worth just being like cool, I see you. I acknowledge what's happening.
1: Yeah, totally. Um so yeah, they they try to make um Exceptions is the wrong word. Alternative sentencing um, mm-hmm. for indigenous folks. So things like healing lodges, sweat lodges, um, healing circles and things like that. But again, they're they're doing all this and yet still indigenous people make up, I would want to say it's around 25% of the prison population. So clearly the intentions are there <coughs> and maybe not for reasons of oh you know we care so much about you know indigenous trauma and things like that i feel sure. like the court system has been yelled at by people yeah so much they're just like all right fine yeah we'll do this I, f- I feel like it's almost a placating yeah at least that's what it looks like in research um, yeah. and in <clears throat> sentencing literature i see um but they are trying and but it's 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 not working that's right. the that's the main it's thing the main is that it's not is. working okay um, especially for, I want to say, violent offenders.
0: So when you say it's not working, you mean there is still a sentencing bias based on race?
1: Yes, absolutely. They are sentenced harsher. Yep. Um, they do more time. For the same crimes. For the same crimes, yes. Um, and when they come out into the community, they actually have, Indigenous people have a more likely um, instance of going back to prison for reoffending because they're not given community support. Right. Um, because when you come out of jail... Thankfully, it's not like the U.S. where they literally just toss you out the door and say, Good luck. Here's a $25 gift card to Arby's. Right. Get on a bus right. and, you know, do your best. Try not to commit g- crimes anymore. Thankfully, there's, you know, right. we have a system in place where they, we have probation officers, parole officers, people who are supposed to keep. Right. Yeah. As opposed to just being like, Well, you're now technically homeless. Good luck not reoffending. Yeah. Have fun with that. <laughs> you know, like, it, it, yeah. The U.S. is, I have. So many things you could say. So sure. many opinions. Um, so yeah, we have that stuff in Canada, but when they do reoffend, even if it's something minor, they're still sentenced so much more harshly than mm-hmm. white people. Mm-hmm. There was a um, an article that I was reading where uh, I can link it to you. Um, this woman was talking about um, solitary confinement among. Black in, I believe in indigenous, or maybe it was in the US, black and white women at least. Uh, black women spend more time in solitary. Um, and she basically said that from an interview with a white woman um, in prison, the white woman said, It's in your best interest in prison to be white.
0: Wow. Oh, yeah. is that, do you think that's because people perceive black folks as being more dangerous?
1: I think it comes yeah it comes a lot of uh, from a lot of that um, mm-hmm. that documentary the 13th I don't know if you watched that I did yeah that's fantastic it's a fantastic history on racism in America and how it works in the prison system yeah and especially I didn't know about the the crack e- epidemic and racism and you know how yeah, that actually, integrates in the justice system I didn't understand that either. it blew my
0: mind Yeah, just learning some history of how drugs were were changed so that you could sentence folks that used them harsher and to essentially legitimize racism by saying we have made a racially linked behavior like smoking pot that fundamentally isn't really damaging to society, Mm -hmm. certainly not in the way it was punished, Mm -hmm. but we've now made it a Schedule 1 worse than, you know, cocaine or heroin kind of deal, or at least as bad as, because I don't think cocaine's a Schedule 1, but I'm not sure. Um, It might be.
1: I don't remember. I think it... I don't remember.
0: At the very that's fair. I don't remember yeah. either. So at the very least I'll say that they made marijuana, which wasn't considered as bad as heroin, no. cocaine, crystal meth. At least as bad as Mm -hmm. heroin, cocaine, and crystal meth, if not worse. And when you think about the harm caused by crystal meth and marijuana, it's pretty easy to see that marijuana users can be more functional, they can go to work, they don't they don't necessarily have to steal, like you can go to work, hold down a job, come home and smoke pot. Mm -hmm. Not that I'm saying you should go out and do this, but it is an option. And if you choose to do that, I'm not gonna judge. It may not be right for me, but I Th- I personally feel more functional not using, but I can also say that from a position of enormous privilege of not mm. having parents that did marijuana and not being exposed to a lot of right. marijuana use and drug use. And, yeah. like, most of my friends didn't do marijuana. So it was really easy for me to not do marijuana. Right. So there may be, like, a whole host of other circumstances that sort of put people in situations where it's easier. Mm-hmm. Just, you know.
1: Yeah. So yeah.
0: I definitely acknowledge I come from that with a lot of privilege.
1: Yeah. And there's even, there's even um, I want to say bias and stigmatization within different classifications of drugs like crack right. is cocaine in a crystal form sure cocaine is for rich white people right crack is. crack for is for black people yes and it's they even they, 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 they say that, that in the 13th and they they link crack to gangs right and it's just it yeah and That's we, we just still so do it we still do it is there a cost difference? Is that why it gets linked racially? I think crack is cheaper. I can't remember. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if they were saying that in the documentary. Um, sure. Yeah. It, it's
0: a pretty good documentary. It seems, it seems pretty well researched. I haven't looked at any yeah. of the sources, so I can't really say definitively. Yeah. But, I mean, I trust your research if you've looked into stuff. I just like... S-
1: yeah, I know the, um, the woman who wrote The New Jim Crow... Um, which is a fantastic book. Um, what a title! If people, yeah, if anybody wants to read it, um, it is incredible. Do you want to maybe explain for some of the folks that don't know the history
0: what Jim Crow laws were?
1: I can. Let me you can, just. You can definitely look
0: it up if you want to make sure that you. I'm definitely going to look it up because okay.
1: I want to be right. I'm actually going to bring my.
0: You can just bring your computer over to this table if you want.
1: Bring my laptop over here. So I can I can give them to it uh, in like a nutshell. Sure. so
0: we're almost to question one on the research we're, almost this there. we're still <laughs> in the preamble talking about the general situation <laughs> but we will link this back to intimacy we promise
1: yes um, so our good friend Wikipedia um, who you should not y- they say you shouldn't trust it in academia but you definitely can
0: <laughs> for, I gen- agree. for I general agree.
1: knowledge especially for general knowledge if totally. you're not going to
0: be published with it it's a pretty good way to stay informed yeah it's great.
1: exactly it's fantastic Um, So for those who don't know, Jim Crow laws were state and local laws that enforced racial segregation in the southern United States. Um, They were enacted in the late 19th century and early 20th centuries by white, democratic, dominated state legislators. Um, This was after the Reconstruction period, which I'm not sure what that is.
0: I believe that was post-Civil War. Okay, perfect. So I think the idea with Reconstruction is the North won the war and the South won the peace. Yes, that makes sense. That's how it's usually explained. Um... I have liberal friends who love the United States and who are like, you know, it all really fell apart during Reconstruction. Pretty much every social ill can be traced back to how that war was settled into peacetime. Oh my god. That that's what I've heard, but oh my god, okay. I don't know a lot about
1: it. Um Tennessee had twenty Jim Crow laws. Um so yeah, it was everything to do with like communications, separate public transit. That's where the, the It's essentially secre- apartheid. Yeah, totally. Um, And now... It's
0: institutionalized racism in the most pure form.
1: Yes. Um, So the new Jim Crow... um, It's called Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness. Oh, fuck me. Right?
0: What a title. I know. Also, I'm so fucking sick of people saying they're colorblind, meaning they just ignore that problems affect people of color.
1: It's horseshit. Yeah. I hate it.
0: Like, I'm fine if people want to be like, I don't see color. I'm like, cool. What are you doing to deal with real racism that harms people today? Absolutely. Because you can ignore the problem and say you don't see color, which is great, except you're steeping in the same misogynistic racist culture that everyone else is steeping in. So you're still going to import a lot of those ideas and your views and approaches to solving problems and how you interact in the world is going to be informed by that. So you can not see color and not see sexism, but ultimately they still exist and they are alive in everything you do if you do not start questioning why you do the things you do. Totally. Like adopt that sociological perspective. Every time someone
1: says that they're colorblind, I think of that episode from the office where they do the diversity day oh fuck and I just die inside like I can't handle it Um, but the new dream crow great book Michelle Alexander's her name she's uh, she's a lawyer and a Harvard law professor awesome Um, yeah and it's it's literally about mass incarceration of um, black folks in the US Um, it's so so good highly recommend reading it how do i what's the name of the author how do i spell it michelle um m-i-c-h-e-l-l-e okay and then alexander that's really easy yeah
0: okay from from new jim crow and michelle alexander i'm pretty sure i can find it and post it on that totally yeah
1: there's an uh, yeah it's on amazon fan fucking test and you can buy it on ibooks i don't know if people yeah
0: or like probably audible there might even be i don't know whether audible has an audiobook version oh yeah i can take a look but i do audiobooks so i appreciate them i love them great. Um, yeah. So we should start getting into the intimacy as relationship to oneself. Yes. I like that. So one of the reasons why I brought Yana on the show today um, was to talk a little bit about, we aren't even done your intro. <laughs> we aren't done your intro. We're How so we good at this. We're so amazing <laughs> at this. So in addition to the Kwantlen Prison <laughs> Justice Club.
1: <laughs> Are we talking about what, 10 minutes ago?
0: <laughs> like according to the clock, probably like 18 minutes ago. Yes. Um, no, you're right, probably more like 20 minutes ago. Okay. It was was like twice what you said (laughs) when I said you were right. (laughs) I'm good at this, I swear. Um, So Yana was on the Carceral Cultures Conference panel at SFU. Yes. And volunteers for PACE.
1: My panel, if anyone wants to look it up, was called uh, Welcome in Our Backyard, and it was about community corrections. And offender reintegration. As opposed to not in my backyard. (laughs) Which is the worst. Which is the worst. Worst attitude. Which is typically everyone's attitude is
0: the NIMBY approach to like halfway houses. They're like, sure, prisoners need to be given humane treatment sort of when I'm not looking somewhere else I don't care, but not in my backyard.
1: I literally live a block away from one. Sure. I mean, it's a house. It it has people in it. It has people inside. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. They're just doing their best every day.
0: Yeah. And I think we have to acknowledge that if we don't allow any space for folks to try
1: again, yes, no
0: one else is going to either.
1: Yes, and it's, it creates this hopeless system.
0: Yeah, it's the same with insight. If yep. you're not willing to have an insight in your city, you're gonna have more severe health outcomes, yep. including a lot of death. And if you want to deal with death, you have to have things like hospitals.
1: And clearly and we're not dealing with that.
0: We're not dealing with that. Yeah. It's so clear with the opioid crisis that's currently going on. It's mm-hmm. like people just don't care about no. marginalized folks no. I mean, which is why they're marginalized but like yeah yeah, I'm sure we're both on, of the exact same mind on this or they
1: only care on Facebook I don't know yeah that's
0: more and more what it seems like
1: like oh isn't this sad like what are you okay well, what are you doing about it are you going to get Narcan training are you yeah. going to help out there you know like yeah really yeah it's cliche but like put your money where your mouth is totally you know one of the
0: things I really like about burn in the forest is how well trained they are it's mm. a regional burner event mm-hmm. but every single ranger has like an arcane
1: that's fantastic
0: yeah. on them and they know how to use it there's like full training and everything yeah in fact there are so many kits on that site wow um just because every ranger needs one the ranger station needs one yeah. like the info center like volunteering sorry volunteer info center has one so essentially there were just kits everywhere mm-hmm. and to my knowledge not one of them got used yeah, wow. Which is incredible when you think of the volume of drugs that goes into a burner festival. Like, Yeah. But people also had testing kits, yeah. and they told everyone to test their drugs before they came out to the con. Yeah. Totally. So important. And also, their insurance won't let them have drug test strips on site because they can have health care interventions, but they can't have preventative care oh because that God. would mean they'd have to acknowledge there was a problem or that there was drug use because so it's not even a problem. we deal with the problem prob- later. That's right. We'd rather, it, for insurance reasons deal with the fact that people might die then acknowledge there are drugs on site because if you acknowledge it you can't necessarily get insurance.
1: That is so incredibly frustrating.
0: It's negligent. But yeah, not totally but not they they did such a good job as event providers, mm-hmm. Javias, the Greater Vancouver Interactive Arts Society, mm-hmm. to work around that hamstring, that that um problem, essentially, that that companies weren't as willing to work with them as one would hope they Mm -hmm. would be. Especially when you're literally saying, I'm trying to prevent someone dying on site. Yeah. You would think insurance companies would be all over that, but apparently they weren't. So yeah, in terms of risk management, they were like, okay, here are all the places you can go and get this stuff done in the city. Yeah. Please do it before you come out, and there will be kits everywhere in case someone has a problem. Yeah. So they did everything they could, and I think they did a really admirable job.
1: That's great. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Although there was... Not to, not to open up a whole can of worms, but there was a death at um, Burn oh. in the Forest. It was the first one ever, and it happened last year. Oh,
1: that's unfortunate.
0: Um, yeah, I was there when they closed the street down and stuff. It was, oh. it was really unfortunate. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to talk too much about that or the totally. surrounding situation. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't believed to be related to opioids. Wow. Which is not what you would expect. No. So they have so far not had a single opioid death, to my knowledge, at Burn in the Forest. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Also, great festival. Would encourage people to go out and do the whole burner thing just because of the principles of Burning Man and how interesting and cool they can be to explore in yourself and the way that they talk about working through um, certain oppressive things that happen in capitalism, which is really neat. Mm -hmm. But let's talk specifically about apparently I'm just meandering also (laughs) did I mention I haven't seen Yana in how long has it been like 15 years yeah something like that it's been a lot of years maybe not 20 but
1: I think yeah
0: the last time we saw each other we would have been like 15
1: I think so yeah
0: and I'm 32
1: yeah and I'm 33
0: so yeah it's probably (laughs) been more than half of our lives since we've seen each other last which is why I'm meandering and just like enjoying (laughs) my conversation with you and Hopefully, people enjoy that on the podcast. I hope so. And if they don't, 'em, them, right? Yeah, right? Who cares? <laughs> turn it off.
1: Just...
0: No, I'm, don't actually turn Don't turn it off. it off. Don't turn it off. <laughs> yeah, it's actually... It's pretty challenging because if you think about the pressure of trying to release every single week, it's like I have to record a lot of episodes. Yeah. And because I have lovely humans who do listen to my podcast, I have a lot of Patreon support, which is really nice. That's and by awesome. a lot of, I mean like about a hundred bucks right now. That's great month. though. It is fantastic. Yeah. Um, it, it's only because... There are like six of my patrons who give me ten dollars a month to in- to specifically recognize that I'm doing a lot of um, consent work and a lot of anti-oppression work. Yes, and a lot of those humans are just like, thank you so much for doing this work. We just want to support you, keep doing the work you're doing. That's so great. So not all of it is podcast support, mm-hmm. um, but still, like I have like 19 patrons on Patreon now, which I couldn't have imagined like a year ago. Yeah. And I think I started a, almost about a year ago. Yeah, I think, Maybe a
1: little longer. I think that's when... I remember you posting about it, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's just pretty crazy to see how much it's grown and how much love and support the show's gotten and how much people like it. So that's I'm
1: awesome. Thank you so much!
0: <laughs> thank you, all you people listening. Great. So... We got through your intro. We did. We successfully got through. I was going to ask you to explain Pace, but I feel like that's a whole other podcast that we could talk about. Oh, so you can.
1: You can Pace Society. They work with uh, street based sex workers in the downtown east side. Mm-hmm. Um, they're fantastic. They're very small, um, really small building, really small organization, um, mm-hmm. but they do incredible work around harm reduction. Um, they have the um, this program where trans sex workers can come in and get their gender markers changed on their ids what they do it for free that's fucking fantastic they bring people to and from doctor's appointments they do outreach work they're just they're amazing everyone there is incredible and i love all of them
0: i've heard that they are sex workers for sex workers Uh, yeah totally which is pretty incredible
1: yeah it's so important
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's really neat because I think when you have people that are from a marginalized community serving that same community, there are so many points of harm that get avoided. Yes. So it's like all the little slights and bullshit that people have to deal with when they interact with people from outside their community, you just don't need to deal with.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we've been trying to address that in the POC community, in the BDSM community, Mm -hmm. because you're dealing with a marginalized community within a marginalized community. Yeah. And those things kind of stack in this really weird way. So that's... (laughs) It's been fun. Mm-hmm. Um, not the same as being a sex worker at all. I didn't mean to draw a direct comparison between the two of them, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but but still, you know, similar-ish yeah. in the sense that you're still dealing with people that do not totally. understand exactly what your experience is. Mm-hmm. So that, that's been neat. So we can get into questions now, like yeah. half an hour into our, <laughs> into our podcast. I wanted to talk to you about stigma on being an addict in prison. Yes. So the goal today was to talk more about that. Do you want to talk about <coughs> how that stigma impacts? Like relationships, maybe even just the relationship with yourself, Mm -hmm. um, or even your relationship with other people. Mm -hmm. Because primarily, I try and center my podcast around intimacy, but it doesn't always work out perfectly. Totally, it's. I think it's all relevant content though. Because the more we talk about stigma, the more we're talking about alienating people. Mm -hmm. The less we're talking about those people being able to have rich, intimate lives. Yeah. So let's talk about the difference between um, stigma around being an addict in prison and stigma around being an addict in society. Ooh,
1: that's that's. I feel like. you experience stigma at both levels for sure but it feels like in prison it it's almost like hmm, I'm really not a frame this a lot of my experience with people um, who have been addicted to substances outside of prison the attitude has always been like oh we have to save this person right there's a there's a definite sort of savior complex with, with people around them. Um, or we Mm -hmm. have to, we have to get this person clean. It's our job to do this. Um, we have to send them to rehab. We have to, you know, take all the drugs out of the house, take all the alcohol out of the house or whatever it is. Um, and there's, there's still this really abstinence based approach to Mm -hmm. it. And this really drugs are evil approach. Right. Which I feel like Drugs are not, I don't, I don't view them as evil. Um, I think that mm, addiction is hard. It's societal. It's sometimes it can even be genetic, people have said. Um, I know that there's a lot of, quite a bit of evidence for that. um, And I've certainly experienced that in my family. Um, Both of my parents are, are uh, recovering alcoholics. um, And I had my own addiction issues. So I think that you can, when you're a child, you can kind of see that pattern. And mm-hmm. sometimes, whether or not you want to, you you end up falling into it. Sure. Um, and some of that might even be conditioning. Totally. Right, just even seeing the modeling. Yeah. And it, it, becomes, the, it becomes normalized, mm-hmm. you know. Um, That's to just see, how you cope with things. Yeah, and to see yeah. just drug paraphernalia around the house, you know, it becomes like, you go Normal. over to someone's house and you're like, where's...
0: Where's all your drug stuff? Yeah,
1: <laughs> where's all this stuff? You know, um, but I think in prison... It's, oh, it's rough, especially when you get out, especially if you're on a drug-related crime, because people assume the absolute worst. You apply for a job, can't get a job. You go over to someone's house and say they hide all their stuff, you know, like all their valuables and things like that, because they're, they're, oh, well, you're just going to sell it and pawn it to go get, you know, crack or heroin or whatever like that. Um... So I feel like that's kind of that's a lot of stigma around getting out of prison.
0: Right, just having been in prison.
1: Yeah, and especially with and I want to say being in prison, um, you're not allowed drugs. You detox sometimes by yourself. Um, and which is there support for that? From what I know, not a lot. And certainly not like widespread that no. every person would have access to it. I've I've. I've heard a lot of stories about people detoxing from heroin um, in their own cells. Jesus, and it's incredibly painful. Um, <coughs> as you know, there's there's muscle spasms and sweating and things like that, and people feel like they're going to die. Right. Um. So the help is not there. Right. And you're you're kind of getting clean when you don't want to. Right. So there's almost like there's no consent in that way. Right. I guess I can frame it like that. Because at
0: the very least, you're stripping away a person's autonomy and agency. Yeah. Like, they aren't able to make their own choices and be an adult.
1: Absolutely, yeah. You're yeah. Tr- you're treating them like a child.
0: Which I've heard is the theme in the prison system, mm-hmm. from telling them to make their beds, for example, Yes. through to everything else. But the problem is not teaching people the ability to make good decisions, teaching them the ability to listen to others. Yeah,
1: is totally different.
0: Right. It's Um, not, I mean, how are they going to listen to others when there's no one around when they get out of prison? Exactly. You're not training them for success, you're training them to live in prison.
1: Yeah. I remember my, one of my professors, she was telling me a story about, she was at a coffee shop with a guy who had just gotten out of prison and um, the overwhelming sensation of him having to make a decision about what coffee he wanted was Mm -hmm. crushing. He was having like an anxiety attack because there was no one to tell him, this is what you're getting. Right, and so he kind of stood there and he just froze and just stared at the menu. And she ordered a coffee, and he was like, "Well, I'll just get the same thing, because right. I don't, I don't want to make this decision." Right. So, and there's there's a lot of unpacking about That's that. That's not
0: super functional. No. How are you supposed to choose where to live? Yeah. Or
1: you're told when to get up in the morning, when mm-hmm. to go to bed, what time your meals are, right. how to make your bed. Right. You're you're literally stripped of. I want to say your identity by giving a uniform right. and a number. You know, it's this, it's this incredibly isolating, violent space right. in so many ways. Right. You know, if you don't experience violence physically, you certainly experience it psychologically. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think taking away something that somebody is using to cope with, say, internal trauma or something like that, like using drugs to cope with that, mm-hmm. is contributing to that violence in a way. Right. You know, like forcing them into this rehabilitation that maybe they're not ready for.
0: Right. Tell me more about that piece, about going into rehabilitation for drugs when you're not ready to be in rehab.
1: Well, first of all, a lot of it's court mandated. Right. And they hold this big, pun- this, this big threat over your head that if you don't go to rehab, um, you're going to get more time. Right. We will, inc- we will put more, um, say we'll tack on another five years. That's a lot. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot of pressure.
0: So you can either go to rehab or you can suffer in a cell.
1: Yes. Got you. And sometimes that's the choice that people are faced with. And a right. lot of people will just choose, oh, well, I'll just go to rehab. Sure. Because it's less prison. Yeah. Because then at least I don't have to be in jail. Right.
0: And also it's probably a much better experience than detoxing without the support of rehab.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. See, with, with rehab, you'd have like doctors and things like that. Right.
0: Yeah. Which is crazy to me that if someone chooses prison, they wouldn't have access to doctors in the same way that they would at rehab, that you wouldn't have, like, here's a group of people who chose not to rehab, so we're forcing them to rehab.
1: Yeah. From unquote, what I've naturally. heard, in especially in the U.S., um, reading a couple of cases, I've, I've very kind of limited experience on um, prison health. No, but I'm sure it's, it's a massive issue that mm-hmm. I, I know definitely exists. Mm-hmm. But even things like getting dental care right, is really tough. You know, um, I remember reading or I, w- I think I was watching an interview with um, Damien Eccles of the West Memphis Three. He's now out of prison. But when he was in prison, he had um, some kind of tooth infection or something. And the doctor said, well, you're on death row. So wow. we can either just leave you in pain because they're probably going to kill you anyway, or we can pull all your teeth out. It's up to you. That's fucking ruthless. It's, it's brutal. And this was, in, this was in Arkansas. This was in the United States. Um, but God, if that's the kind of care that they get, yeah, li- why would you even want a doctor Right at that point? I mean, wow. that would be my mindset. Yeah. You know, a doctor comes in and is just like pissed off that they're... You know, you might be the the thirtieth person they've s- seen in the prison, and they just don't want to deal with it, right? You know, right. And then having to get prescriptions in prison, I feel like is it totally that must be an experience.
0: <laughs> I can't even imagine. Like
1: what's es- what's considered contraband, right? Because then you have to deal with with yeah, you have yeah. to deal with bureaucracy and all this paperwork, and yeah, I feel like it's just a lot.
0: I just realized I didn't have my <laughs> monitoring headphones on the whole <laughs> session, which is fine wow so that was that was the first question yeah so you mentioned a really neat solution to me Mm -hmm. um, when we were talking before you were talking about harm reduction like Mm -hmm. insight which seems to work really well
1: yeah it's gotten fantastic results
0: i've heard it saves healthcare dollars Mm -hmm. in addition to everything else in addition to like reducing the number of people who die yes in addition to like
1: it also helps with um with eventually people getting clean right you know like it's it's fantastic in so many ways
0: when people are at their most lucid yeah. and they sort of are just norm at their at their at their sound minded place. Yeah. They have access to all the harm reduction they could want. Because they I literally f- like come to in an insight and I go I think they
1: have a treatment center like upstairs in the building. Wow. Um
0: I might be wrong. I could I could be wrong.
1: But I remember It
0: makes sense to have like have you heard the good word of not doing drugs <laughs> right next to where people are doing drugs. Yeah. And to have like a safe place where they aren't stigmatized totally go for help they know that people aren't gonna judge them and treat them like garbage
1: and also presenting it as just an option yeah you know not like a
0: it's the autonomy and agency piece yeah when you can give people the needs they have for independence they're so much more likely to make quote-unquote the right choice or a choice that serves them because ultimately that's what you're asking for Mm -hmm. all we all we want is for people to make the choice that's in their best interest yeah and Until they see it as in their best interest, forcing them to do it isn't going to help, I don't think. Probably not anyway. I'm sure some people have had that experience, but I don't think it's the general. I think that's the exception, not the rule.
1: Yeah, I think so too.
0: Woof. Heavy topic. Mm. So harm reduction could work in prison as well.
1: I definitely think so. I think having something like Insight in a prison would be fantastic. I mean, you you could cut down on the amount of disciplines for contraband. Right. Um, you could cut down on the amount of smuggling drugs into prison. Because you
0: could just have drugs available. Because you could just
1: have medical heroin. Sure. Or whatever it is um, sure. available and at a safe dosage. Right. Um, and that way you've tested it. You know you know what it is. It doesn't have fentanyl in it. Right. Because I'm more than positive that there are fentanyl deaths in prison. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that seems like just why, with the opioid crisis. Like, why yeah. wouldn't there Um so and I d-
0: not like they have purer drugs than anywhere yeah. else in
1: society. And having doctors and nurses who could monitor people while they are using, I think, is so important.
0: Definitely. Well, I mean, it just cuts down on death <coughs> and it cuts down on healthcare, too, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yep, totally.
0: You just have one nurse essentially dealing with all of these people. Yep. Whereas if you don't have that supervision, some percentage will die and some percentage will get to a hospital and have to see an ER doctor. And yes. do you know how expensive that is for the healthcare yes. like system? Yep. It's insanity. It's like you're looking at, I think, the baseline for just seeing the ER doctor is like over $700. Mm-hmm. Whereas to have a nurse supervise like 20 people, you just have fewer people die. And yeah. if they need help, they have everything they need right there.
1: Yep. And they have yeah. Like you said, yeah, they have Narcan. They have anything you would need. Yep.
0: It just makes sense. And you have one person who's trained to deal with that one situation and all the things that can arise from that. Like, it's just a smart, economical, like, financially responsible thing to do. Yeah. In a sense, you could say it's good conservative policy. Yeah. Right? You're not wasting a whole bunch of government money just so you can kill off a whole bunch of addicts. Exactly, yeah. In, like, a completely inhumane fashion, just, like, letting them die, essentially, when you could quite easily not have them live with the stigma and not have them have to deal with the... Inaccessibility of healthcare.
1: Yeah. I feel like that would be a hard pitch to see CSC, which is Correctional Services yeah. Canada. I
0: agree with you. And
1: um. I don't want to dunk on them too much, but sure. they are. <laughs> 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 they are, um, they've got problems. Sure.
0: And I think they know that. Like, yeah. I, I think it would be hard for them not to know that because obviously the people that work there are intimately familiar with that system, even if yes. they haven't learned a lot of the alternatives that may be available, yeah. my I would suspect that a lot of those people are well-educated, understand the system and how it doesn't work, and maybe they've just come to a conclusion that they can do more to make the system better by being part of it. That is my hope. That is my hope, too. Yeah. That is my hope, too, and I try and give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. At the same time, seeing a transition between what we currently have and something like, I don't know, maybe getting help from other cultures like the indigenous folks on whose unceded traditional territories we're currently mm-hmm. on. They may know a thing or two yeah. about this. Like they may have some like really good systems that are I mean, let's be honest, our system's not a very high bar to get over. No. Like it, it isn't a huge challenge for another society to say, Oh, we've got a better idea than what you're currently doing.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yep. Anyways, that's just what I think about it. I I agree. Yeah. yeah. I think I think incorporating more indigenous knowledge and um healing methods and even i'm like i'm going to extend this into research indigenous research methodologies interesting um is fantastic
0: really so i know nothing about this so i'm interested to hear you talk if you want to
1: i don't i can't speak very much to it sure um from what i let me just google some things bring up like a paper that i definitely got on my computer
0: yeah, because I know you've done a lot of uh, research in and around this area.
1: mm mm-hmm. um, And there's a great book, too, that was written by um, Dr. Lisa Moncholin. Um She actually, she teaches at Kwantlen, but I believe she's uh, currently working at um, U of T. And she wrote an incredible book about... Um, Indigenous people and the justice system, and it's called the colonial problem oh geez yeah it's it's fa- it's fantastic um yeah she's a she's an incredible instructor, deeply knowledgeable she opened our course with talking about how museums have stolen oh sure from indigenous folks definitely and absolutely
0: yeah like, like when you think about the British Museum it's not like they were gifted all of those things yeah why would any other museum in, exactly in yeah.
1: Yeah, And I, I believe a friend told me that they, they visited the Royal BC Museum a few months ago, and there were some artifacts that had are now removed and have said, we have now given these back oh, to... Oh, that's actually really good. Yeah. Um, but not all of them. <laughs> I think that they should all be.
0: Hashtag not all artifacts.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah.
0: So we talked a little bit about... Right, research you've done in terms of your perspective on stigma (coughs) of being an addict in prison versus Mm -hmm. in everyday society. We talked about harm reduction, Mm -hmm. so how something like INSIGHT could function in prison. Actually, do you want to speak a little more about that? Like, If we took the INSIGHT model, we talked about how well that INSIGHT model worked, Yeah. Um, and then you were talking about having a harm reduction facility in a prison where maybe a nurse would supervise everyone using. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And of course the pushback you're going to get is the argument that won't this increase drug usage in prisons and all that jazz? No. I think especially if you ask people to pay what they're paying already. There'd be no reason for them not to pay you for your drugs.
1: Well, and it's it, I mean, it's like, how much does it cost to house a, a, a prisoner?
0: Absolutely. Like, there's that as well. But if people are concerned...
1: $116,000.
0: That's insane, per year? Yeah. That's really expensive. Yeah. I think what's interesting about this conversation is how, e- how quickly we see how much better it would be for society if low-risk offenders were not housed in prisons.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Like, there are so many people you could immediately break off of the system that are not murderers, that are not, you know, rapists, that are not going to be the kinds of big, scary crimes that everyone's afraid of.
1: Yeah, those moral panic kind of crimes. The moral panic crimes,
0: thank you, because they're not... Even those crimes, like, and (laughs) we'll probably get into this later, but talking a little bit about abolition um, mm. and and ways of transitioning from what we have now mm. to hopefully a healthier, more evidence-based approach to policy. Right. Because I'm the biggest advocate for evidence-based approaches to government. If we're going to spend the volume of money we spend on a democratic government the way we have, can we please just all agree to let facts and objective truths guide our policy decisions yes. instead of religion and moral outrage? Not yes. that I have anything against religion. It's just like, it. I don't think it should be making decisions as to where we put parking spaces yeah. or um, how we manage crime in society mm-hmm. or how we manage drug use. Those things should be based on what does the be- most good, at the very least. And I don't mean to espouse a strictly utilitarian perspective, but mm. even utilitarianism would be better than what we currently have, because yeah. at least utilitarianism would hopefully be based <laughs> on something factual. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully
1: not a, an old white man waving a Bible and saying, this is wrong. Yeah. Yes. Like some kind of,
0: of ethical framework that isn't based on Abrahamic religion. Yes. Because so much of our court system is <coughs> still, impo- you know, imports a lot of that baggage with it. Yeah. can't remember how long ago it was that a man was fined for cutting wood in his own property on a Sunday in Dawson Creek, BC, but it was, I think in the last hundred years, Oh my I'm God. I'm pretty sure it was in the last century. So it's like, this isn't a thing of the past. I mean, it is hopefully now. But, I
1: hope so. But, but then
0: again, have you been to Dawson Creek?
1: <laughs> I have not, actually. I have a, so I have. And I feel I have like I've purposely avoided it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Not to not to slam any folks in Dawson. Yeah, people. we don't want to dunk on anybody. No, but. totally. And and I mean, people are people, and yeah. you're going to end up in rural society just having different exposure to stuff than in urban society. In fact, I think the rural-urban divide is one of the big cultural problems we have yet to tackle.
1: I mean, we did grow up in Ladner, so... Yes, we did. But we also grew up really close to Vancouver. So yes. those of us
0: who are like, fuck this noise... I'm getting
1: on a bus and getting out
0: of here. Like, yeah. literally. Or just, like, move out and still be an hour from your family and, yep. an, and an hour from the city or wherever, you know, yep. in the city... If you could afford it.
1: Yeah. If you could afford it.
0: Yikes. Yes. Um, But if you live 10 hours out of the city, it's a different story. Yeah. Right? Like, even just driving to Dawson Creek from, like, if you consider Prince George's city, you've got to be talking, like, another eight hours, I would think.
1: Yeah. Wow.
0: No, actually, not quite eight hours, because Fort St. John is pretty close to where Dawson Creek is. And when I think about it, I think it's only, like, four hours and a bit. Oh, is it? Okay. But I might be super ignorant on this. Again, this is a thing I should Google, but Mm. I don't want to, like...
1: Google map it. (laughs) I could totally Google map (laughs) this
0: and find the answer. So what's interesting to note is how much, like, my anxiety over being wrong, like, trumps what would make for a good podcast.
1: Welcome to me being a researcher. Right?
0: I will just go and look at Dawson Creek directions on Google Maps.
1: I feel like so many of my my personal opinions of like being a researcher and like, being like, yeah, I'm going to throw this in a paper and then look it up and go, oh, fuck, I'm wrong.
0: Oh, It's the
1: worst feeling.
0: And it's like the unforgivable sin yeah. in academia too. Yeah.
1: Is that cited? No.
0: Totally. Yeah, it's it's brutal. Okay, so from Vancouver <laughs> to Let's Dawson see. Creek, it is 13 hours. Wow. And... And there's construction, so it's gonna be longer. Fuck. See those little. I love you, Dawson. I, lo- I love you, um, Google Maps. Is <laughs> what I meant to say. <laughs> but also, I appreciate you, Dawson Creek. It is. A, it is almost exactly ten hours from Kamloops, which is where I used to live. Is ten, wow. ten half hours to get there. Um, and if you consider Prince George City, which realistically, if you consider Kamloops City, I you mean, might they well consider Prince George City. It's four hours and thirty minutes. I was pretty close yeah, with my estimates. That was
1: yeah. That, that was surprisingly yeah, surprisingly close. Cool. I'm usually way off because I don't understand travel time.
0: Right. So (laughs) I was mostly worried about, like, the one person from Dawson Creek that might listen to my podcast being like, what the balls, (laughs) silly city person who doesn't know his way around B.C. And I was like, I know my way around B.C. Um, But that rural-urban divide is really significant. (coughs) People in Vancouver are in a bubble. Um, I've spoken to at least two people of color, recently women of color, who've said that, like, the notion that they are people of color never even entered their, like, awareness. Wow. And I was like, we are getting there, folks. Like, in Vancouver, we are getting there. So two separate women of color that are professionals, of course. Mm -hmm. So they learned what's referred to in the POC community as playing white very Mm -hmm. young, which is to say they learned to embody all the values and traits of a 1950s man. And as a result of that, they're able to be successful in professional circles. Because that's what we mean when we say professionalism. How much, like, a 1950s man can you behave? Absolutely. Um... Which is so interesting that that would be the standard of business. Why is that the standard of business? Like, why can't we use jargon? Why can't we swear? Not that I'm saying we necessarily need to do either, but like, what's? How does swearing make you less good at business? It doesn't. Like, but it might make you more rude potentially. So it's like, all right. So I guess we have all this like classism to deal with of people evaluating our worth based on how upper class our language is, or how not working class our language is really, because it doesn't need to be upper class. It just needs to not be working class. Yes. Which sort of begs the question, why? Like, why do we have society structured like that? Like, why can't we have side shaves and colored hair and piercings and tattoos? Because they're poor things to do. Yep. Like, that's the judgment, is that poor folks do these things.
1: That's really interesting. I worked for, I'm not going to say the name of it. Sure. Because I'm going to end up dunking on it if I do. <laughs> um, I worked for a very fancy hotel mm-hmm, downtown mm-hmm. in Vancouver. Um, and that was, that was precisely, we had to learn how to answer the phone right in a professional five-star manner sure and i did that for maybe a week and then i kind of reverted to what i usually do but like i couldn't have visible tattoos i couldn't shave my head i couldn't have like my hair's like light brown and dark brown couldn't have that not acceptable right it needs to be one color yeah one color pulled back in a bun sure yeah no piercings no nothing You have to conform
0: to a richer standard. Yes. You have to look like you're from a different class. Yes. Which isn't that different from racism. Yeah. Because not only is race literally correlated to so to like economic class Mm -hmm. um in in the US and Canada anyway. Mm -hmm. Um but you're literally talking about discriminating against people based on their background. Like, you, you can be born into money or not born into money. And yes, mm-hmm. it is a little different than racism in that you're talking about something you could theoretically work through. You, yep. can, move, you can move class. Yep. And like, there is it's some... It's hard, but you can do it. It is hard, yep. but you can do it. Yep. And the notion that it's not f- like physically impossible, like changing races, for example, yeah. um, makes people think it's more okay. Mm. But it's important to note that it isn't that far from asking someone to change race. Mm-hmm. Because race also plays into class yes oh totally so it's like how many people of color do that hotel employ
1: probably none
0: like possibly literally none well they did they did
1: but they worked the job that you would expect
0: oh no i was so waiting to be wrong and i'm so sad that i wasn't wrong
1: i'm sorry to hear that Mm.
0: that's very sad Mm because yes of course all of the what is it called? The heart of the house. Mm-hmm. All of the all the workers. Back the of the house. The back of the house. We're all not the supposed to be seen. Yeah, exactly. We had separate
1: exit exi- exits and entrances. Really? Yeah. Wow.
0: So I do a working class job um, some of the time. Mm-hmm. I do um, rigging and I do audio visual setups and things for like galas and rock shows mm-hmm. and, and sometimes you do corporate stuff and you'll be in these hotels. And because we're contractors, we aren't told we have to use the back entrance. Mm. But going in in steel toes with, like, you aren't even allowed to wear your viz vest. You can put your vis vest on if there is equipment running, but only when you are in environments with equipment running. And to be honest, I won't say that we're discouraged from wearing it, but people don't wear high visibility in hotels because you wear a crisp black dress shirt <sighs> and black jeans and steel toes. And it's like you look as quote unquote presentable as they can make you it's interesting you're allowed to put on a vis vest though because you can but no one does it's interesting
1: yeah because yeah. you don't want to be the only person wearing the vis vest exactly yeah.
0: like there's, it, it puts you in that position and I've been that person being mm-hmm. the only one wearing a vis vest and I'm like like if there's a scissor list that lift that's working like within like eight feet of me i'm wearing a fucking viz vest and i'm yeah. gonna wear a hard hat yeah and my hard hat has neon tape on it so they can see which direction my face is pointing and i'm really visible from a scissor list yeah lift. so it's like it's a thing people should do is like try not to die at work <laughs> i'm not saying it's like a common thing that i'm worried i'm gonna die at work or anything like that but like if enough people have unsafe practices for long enough, eventually there's an incident. It's it's just a running the numbers thing.
1: But it's interesting that that kind of invisible thing of like a, a fancy dress code, yeah, literally inhibits safety.
0: Yeah, and like I and said, like sense. they'll allow us to wear them. Like no one will come talk to you if you put a Viz, Viz vest on. But it personally inhibits of people. The culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the social dynamic of being the one person wearing a Viz vest, you're unlikely to put it on.
1: That is just.
0: I, when I started in this job, I wore it every single shift. Yeah. And I had people make comments like, why are you wearing that? Like, you realize you don't have to wear that in here. And I was like, but there's literally a piece of moving equipment. I was told that viz vests you should be worn at all times when there's a piece of moving equipment. Yeah. And it literally... Um, Typically, I mean, people know because, like, you're on a crew that's under 10 people usually. Yeah. And they're literally driving into a room in the hotel to go to, like, one specific point to do a thing or, like, three or four specific points. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's seeing tons of use. Right. But it's kind of besides the point that we develop yeah. these standards specifically to, like, encourage the project of, like, n- me not die now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is yeah. That is its formal name. Yes. <laughs> um, but the point I wanted to make was, like, how much... I feel like a sore thumb when I walk in the front door Mm. as a worker for a contractor and I'm wearing steel toes Mm -hmm. and like, like even the people holding the door for me are dressed better than I am. Yeah. Anyways, it's just, it's an interesting examination of class and how we, how we segregate people because it really is segregation. Totally. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thank you for holding space for me to rant. Oh yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So we've got through the first three questions. We did it. I'm curious to just talk a little bit, instead of talking about what reintegration looks like, Mm. which I'm going to hopefully direct more towards intimacy and relationships and what that looks like. Yes. And uh, before we start talking Mm. about that and how little (coughs) research there is on that, Mm. um, I'm curious to hear about how harm reduction, like insight in prisons, would impact outcomes for addicts.
1: (sighs) Oh... It would do so much good. It's just because oftentimes, you know, when you get out of prison and you're on parole, there's a strict no drugs, no alcohol policy. And if you use them, you go back to prison. You go back to prison immediately. It is It is like an Im- you violate it, you're you're done. So it prevents you disclosing. So even if yes. we have harm reduction in
0: society, yes. people that are from the prison system can't access it. Yes. That's
1: garbage. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like, and a lot of the time, you know, coming, coming out of prison, it's deeply isolating. It's, you know, you're experiencing so much stigma right? and you, you literally have to, to relearn things again. If you don't have community support, I'm going to put this out there. You are fucked. Right. You are going right back to jail. You are not the first person I've heard say that.
0: So I've had people who have been to prison say exactly that.
1: You're you're totally you're totally fucked if you don't have community support, especially if you don't have family support. So where does
0: the so the government doesn't provide anything like that for folks? Like there's no not really tons of access for that.
1: I feel like there's not a lot of access and not a lot of space. Got you.
0: And even where there is access, there's still tons of stigma. Yes. We were talking about that whole like not in my backyard thing. of yes. If there's a halfway house where you're living.
1: Yeah. I remember um, there was I can't remember where it was. It might have been in Surrey. Um, they were. Putting, they were going to make a halfway house or put in a halfway house. Sorry, when
0: you said it might have been in Surrey and they're going to make a halfway house, I was like, you can just take the might out of that yeah. sentence. They're going to make yeah. a halfway house in Surrey, but sorry, go on. But there
1: was this, there, I remember this huge community uproar. Right. Of, you know, how could you let these people into right. our community? And it's just, right. oh my God.
0: Like, it's like, yes, let people. They're just yeah, people. They're just
1: they're human beings. They, I have, this is my view on offenders. Sure. And people in the prison system they're not bad people. A lot of them are people who have made a mistake. Sure. And we all make mistakes and oftentimes people will forgive us for those mistakes.
0: Unless you're a prisoner. Unless
1: you're a prisoner. Right. You know, so, you so make a mistake as a prisoner, you go right back to jail. And mm-hmm. I think that that is deeply damaging to our society.
0: It's it's deeply damaging in terms of the shame you would carry.
1: Absolutely. It's yeah. not
0: only do you get told something's wrong with you in a way that it's not wrong with other people, but that message that you're not worth as much as other people is constantly drilled home through shame and stigma yes. and recidivism of constantly going back to jail because, yes. you know, you did some drugs.
1: Yeah, and especially if you are a person of color. Yes. Going um. back into the system. Which is, like, so
0: screwed up on so <coughs> many levels. Like, ugh, yeah.
1: yeah, it is so screwed up. Um, but, yeah, I think that harm reduction could do a world of good you know, if, if somebody didn't get clean on the harm reduction model while they were in prison. Right. At least maybe they could create some kind of community access for it. Right. Some kind of um, program just for people on parole right. to access harm reduction. Right. Um, you know, so they'd at least be getting clean drugs and clean needles. Because, yeah. like, when you talk to volunteers in the downtown east side, especially first responders who are seeing people literally dying in the streets.
0: Right. That's and they're experiencing
1: so burnout because they're experiencing trauma. Right. You know, to have someone die in your arms is deeply traumatic. Yeah. And a lot of the time they don't, they also don't have access Espe- to services. Right.
0: Especially when you're put in a position where you're in control of a situation. Yes. And you're helpless to save this person's yes. life.
1: It is, it is, I've never experienced it personally, but I've heard that it is the worst feeling.
0: So, and I've done first response calls, not where anyone died, but I've done first response calls where people were temporarily unable to feel their limbs. Oh, God. And, like, there was, a, like, I had a suspected spinal on a kid that was, like, he was just motocross racing. Yeah. And literally, like, he missed hitting a telephone pole in the air by a narrow margin um, because he threw his bike. He, like, pushed off of his bike. Oh and got clear of this telephone pole. And his bike was, like, pretty wrecked. But, like... He just went off a jump with, like, too much speed in the sideways direction. Um, And, yeah, like, narrowly missed severe injury, but landed right on his spine. Yeah. So he temporarily couldn't feel his, like, legs. That's
1: terrifying.
0: He was fine with it. So the first words out of his mouth were, mom, mom. And then, did you see how badass that looked? (laughs) Hashtag 14-year-old boy.
1: That's a deep commitment. That is a (laughs) lot of
0: commitment to motocross. (laughs) But I think motocross riders are like that. Like, they're so committed to their sport that I have to admire them for that. Yeah, that's hardcore. In a sense. But, like, thinks. Maybe might be paralyzed yeah. and I'll be fine. Yeah. Also, did you see how badass that was? Like not even the littlest bit of fear. Yeah. His mom is like white, yeah. like sheet white. And he's like worth it. I was I was more worried about her falling over yeah. at first because like obviously I was deeply concerned about the patient, but you have to be mindful in first response not to miss patients. Yes. And the shock and trauma of seeing... Problems, especially with family members, especially with children, mm-hmm. um, is something that often goes like unacknowledged or unseen, yeah. um, and that can lead to all kinds of re-traumatization mm-hmm. just by first responders, just by
1: the way you handle parents and family members. Yeah, totally, yeah. totally. Um, yeah, the every every first responder that I've talked to, even volunteers, mm-hmm. um, and I, w-
0: I was a volunteer. Yeah,
1: and places like uh, Wish, uh, which is another. Um, place that works with sex workers okay um i can send you a link please do they're fantastic um but yeah they all these first responders and volunteers are saying we need clean heroin like that's what we need right
0: like that's what's going to save a lot of
1: lives that's what's gonna reduce the number of ambulance calls yeah and as soon as you say that you know everyone who is even uh, no, I don't want to say remotely, a lot of conservatives yeah. get really up in arms. Of course, because it's, moral oh, outrage. You're putting these drugs into our communities. Well, guess what? They're already in your community. Absolutely. We're just making them safer.
0: Absolutely. So it's it's really that question of like, no under any circumstance, even the circumstance where evidence makes me look like a fool, Yes. who's willing to spend money to make sure people die. Yes. Um, which is essentially what a lot of conservative policies on drugs specifically have done. Yeah. It's been a huge expenditure of money It's been a great cost.
1: Lots of raising of taxes. You
0: can look at it that way if you want, just to make sure people die. Their
1: policies on drugs are the war on drugs. Right. We have to get tough on crime. But it doesn't work, and we
0: know that it doesn't work and even if we want to be tough on crime the toughest way is to hit them where it hurts their wallets mm-hmm. and to take the power out of the you know out of drug cartels mm-hmm. to make safe drugs and to allow people to purchase safe drugs yep totally that's what's going to end up being a successful war because yep. nobody cares about your moral outrage they care about how much money they're making yep. and if you keep supporting systems that make drug cartels money you're going to only support those drug cartels yes so like you can bury your head in the sand and say like I'm gonna get tough on drugs all you want, but if you're handing them bags of money, it's not being tough on drugs. It's being tough on addicts Mm -hmm. and being so ignorant of the evidence that you mistake the two.
1: Yep. Totally. Yep.
0: And I mean like I hate to say it, but it's just a question of looking at the facts. Well and this isn't an interpretation or a liberal slant. Like just look at the facts. Insight was the perfect experimental evidence. It
1: was so good. Because it it was it is good. It's still there.
0: That's the thing with yeah. insight. It's cheaper. Yeah. You can't make a conservative argument against it. There no. is no argument to make against insight. It's cheaper. It saves lives. It gets people off drugs. What more do you need?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The solution is right there.
0: Like we literally demonstrated it. Yeah. There's a microcosm for our whole drug problem. And we're like, hey, look at this. It works. It saves lives. It helps people. It will lower your taxes. Yeah. And people go, you know what? I'm morally angry about facts, so I'd <laughs> rather these people die. And you're like, I don't understand you. I can't talk sense to you because you won't look at the evidence. Yeah. Harper is the perfect example of that. Oh, and, as, and as much as what I a like...
1: a nightmare that man was.
0: Yeah. As much as I like to rag on Harper, seeing, seeing oh, Trump I love and it. other people, I've been like, eh, he was bad, but at least he wasn't like dumb. Like he knew what he was doing. The only thing he was really dumb about was insight. Yeah. He went from being like staunchly in favor of, of provinces having their autonomy for their healthcare dollars to telling judges not to look at the evidence. Yeah. How can you tell a judge not to look at the evidence? Yeah. That is literally that's, the that's job. Oh, yeah, but and I'm sure we could bitch about this for hours.
1: Yeah. And you know, just like telling scientific communities to shut the hell up.
0: Oh, yeah, the gag order on scientists affected people I knew personally. Yeah. It was pretty intense. It affected
1: a lot of people in re- like tons Definitely. of people in research, yeah. even even into like I want to say the arts and things like that. Um especially if you're working with a medical-based model. Right. Doing research, you know, like you were you were screwed.
0: Yeah, I'm super interested to get into more of what you were talking about in terms of art stuff. Mm, But I think we should do that when we start talking about um, what it looks like when addicts come out of prison Mm -hmm. and are trying to reestablish relationships and discover themselves and explore intimacy and how art plays into that.
1: Yes. Um, I think that that can be deeply challenging. Yeah. Um, Because I think that a lot of the times people who get out of prison will often go back to maybe relationships that are not safe. Right. Well, where Um, else
0: do they go? They only have the same situation that
1: got them to prison in the first place. And that's the problem. Because going back to the relationships that's not not safe will send them back to prison. Right. Um, And I feel like a lot of the time, you know, when they go back to those relationships, they can't make new connections. Right. Um,
0: And we have literally years to train them. Yeah. We're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. If you think of a person even on a five-year sentence, like we're spending more than half a million dollars. That's a lot of time. We could do so much good.
1: Absolutely. Or
0: we could tell them to have a timeout because that's the level of our ability to work with people.
1: I cannot believe that it's just (laughs) the, the... it's so. It's expensive. not even a grown-up version of like putting a child in a corner. Like
0: it's really similar to the child version. Yeah, because we're literally telling them everything that they are. Like what to did
1: do I do when I w- like when I was a kid and I did something wrong? My mom would be like, go to your room. I'm like, well, this is just jail for and me. But also, like, what am I learning? Yeah, I'm learning, that I'm, this learning that I'm fucking mad. <laughs> yeah. that I shouldn't be in here. I'm learning I'm mad because I did not break that vase mom I yeah. did not do it you know like and it's even like if I
0: did you have no way of proving it why am I in here
1: <laughs> I need a lawyer totally <laughs> you know I mean like oh it's just ridiculous it was obviously my imagination <laughs> yeah I didn't have a sibling to blame it on so that's I'm hmm yeah I, I am sorry for you that's fair <laughs> it took me a
0: second I had to think about it
1: oh yeah if I did anything wrong it was all me yeah also, I, I think lo- I tried I m- to I say... I love my siblings. I think I tried to tell my mom was a ghost once, but I don't think that worked. Really? Yeah. That was a good try. Yeah. I was really committed to it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's funny. But also, like, we have the benefit of having experiences of, so, of like, learning that those behaviors were not going to get us anywhere. Yes, We had, like, the love and support around yes. learning through those experiences to know, oh, this actually isn't going to work for me. Mm-hmm. With different experiences, maybe we wouldn't have learned those lessons and we would right now be using the same sorts of excuses. Yep. I'm not saying it's an ideal situation that we spend a half million dollar educating people because they didn't educate themselves, but I think it's a better solution than spending a half million dollars to punish people because they didn't educate themselves. Totally. Because one actually has a productive solution and one doesn't.
1: Yeah. It's when like, I think a lot of the time you have to look at you know, the backgrounds of these offenders and their, their families and you know if they don't grow up in a place that's healthy mm-hmm. you know like what are they going to learn mm-hmm. you know certainly certainly not to connect with people in a in a positive and healthy um, in a positive and healthy way mm-hmm. um and certainly not to connect with, with themselves in a positive and healthy way you know there's a lot of um probably internal shame and stigma surrounding the way they grew up if they were abused whether that be physically or sexually that's a whole different thing to unpack in terms of Mm -hmm. trauma and having to deal with that trauma um and i feel like that you know if they come from that background that really inhibits getting or uh, having a relationship with yourself Mm -hmm. and and continuing to grow that relationship with yourself because you know you don't just all of a sudden be like oh i have a positive relationship it takes time
0: yeah you know yeah
1: i like i still struggle with my internal relationship with me Mm -hmm. you know and I'm quote-unquote healthy. Right. You know, but it, it's, it's a lot of work for a human being. Yeah, and yeah. there is
0: that, that divorce of between psychological health and physical health in yes. the medical community that seems to completely misunderstand all of what we're now learning because it was created with information from a much less informed time. Mm-hmm. But as we're starting to understand connections between IBS and anxiety, for example, Mm -hmm. or literally like any other host of Oh, yeah, exercise
1: and and mental health. Yeah,
0: and formerly they would just say, oh, this is psychosomatic. It's like that isn't... So you literally just created a bucket for all the things you weren't trained to deal with and you just chuck people into that bucket.
1: Yeah. It's like, sure. I don't think that you should, you know, I don't don't believe in throwing medication on everything. Sure. But I think there has to be a, a really big balance. Where I also don't believe in, you know, I you know I like I have bipolar disorder. I tell somebody that I'm depressed, and they say, "Oh, go outside." Well, now I'm depressed outside. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for that. Yeah. Like, oh, go it's for a, a run. Well, a I'm <laughs> now I'm depressed and running. Yes. Now I hate my life. <laughs> and now and I'm, I'm depressed. And now I'm angry, and my muscles hurt. Yeah. So this is worse. Yes. I think there has to be like a really big balance. Yeah. Between those two things. Yeah. And I mean, I've had depression
0: and anxiety. My earliest memories of it were six, seven years old. Yeah. Same. Um, yeah. And it's like really hard to communicate to people it's like yeah i do feel a little better if i like go and do like a standing tan sure yeah i can go to a tanning booth in the winter and i feel a little better yeah but any seasonal depression that i experience is on top of what i already oh yeah deal with and truthfully the only way i've really improved my situation is going to weekly counseling yep and I've just done the work over mm-hmm. years and years. And that's in no way meant to shame me because there are going to be people for whom they do the work and it does not affect their depression. And that's mm. okay, too. Yep. But it's like I've put in a shit ton of money and time yep. that is the result of privilege. Like I had the time yep. and I had the money to access counseling. And most of that is because of amazing anti-oppression work mm-hmm. that counselors have done. Um, Which is kind of garbage that they get paid less for helping me. Yeah. Um, But there have been counselors that have made exceptions for, um, like, Dragonstone. I can't encourage people enough to go there and Mm -hmm. support them with your money um, because they offer sliding scale.
1: That's fantastic. They
0: offer sliding scale access to their interns and they also offer sliding scale access for their regular counselors that's a little more expensive than their interns because their interns are, if you are, like, a POC or a queer person or you're trans, regardless of of the thing you're dealing with that is highly stigmatized, they will typically make an exception where if you're willing to see an intern, it's between zero and forty dollars, wow. which is absurdly generous. Yes. And if you want to see like a proper counselor that would cost you a lot more, it's typically sliding scale between fifty and eighty, which is absurdly cheap again. Yes. So there there are attempts to make it more accessible to the middle class mm-hmm. and like the lower end of the middle class, I think is wonderful, even mm-hmm. if it's obviously not perfect.
1: Yeah. I think that in you know, in terms of um getting offenders back into the community, having access to counseling Why don't
0: we have access to counseling? For I mean offenders? we
1: do like, but it's so deeply limited. Really?
0: Um I didn't realise there was any so I'm really charmed to hear that there I, is I, some I'm, access.
1: I'm pretty sure that there is. Um it would only make sense. It's cheaper than yeah. what you would pay to
0: have them in prison. It's so. definitely
1: been my experience talking with, with people who have been um, in prison, in, like in and out of prison. How hard would it be to get a grant
0: to try and get prisoners what they need to be successful in society? Surely plenty of people have tried this.
1: With the government that we have now? Yeah. I think that from from other research that I've talked to, um, especially in, in Ontario, um, Yeah. My the sense that I'm getting is now is the time. Right. Which is fantastic. Before
0: the next elections, what I'm hearing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, if it's you It's the could right time to do this kind of work. Right.
0: Because if you could pitch, like, <coughs> this is going to save $116,000 per year per mm-hmm. prisoner that goes back in, and statistically this is how many go back in, mm-hmm. and this method saves one of those people from going back in, it is therefore worth this many dollars to the government, but only costs this much. Yeah. Like... Here's how you reduce your budget. I think if you pitched it that way, you'd be more likely to get funding potentially. Yeah. But I don't really know. I haven't ever applied for one.
1: Yeah. I, I definitely, I didn't use, I didn't use money when I pitched my yeah. um, uh, application for Shirk. And you said that you got your Shirk application. I haven't yet. You have I'm not yet. I'm okay. waiting to find out the decision in April. Yeah. Um, but I did use a lot of evidence-based stuff That's in my great. application. That's you great. You know, saying, like, you know, these programs work. There's this program, fantastic theater program in New York called Rehabilitation Through the Arts. Okay. Um, it's operated out of Sing Sing. Okay. And so 800 prisoners have participated in RTA. Um, so fewer than 5% <coughs> of those 800 have returned to prison.
0: What? Isn't that that's astounding? Yeah, that shocked me. I've never heard of a
1: recidivism rate that low. Yeah, huh? And it's b- it's because they teach these guys. It's it's for men. Sure. There is a program for women. Um, it's operated out of a different prison. Um, but they teach these guys, you know, basic skills like how to put on a play, how to rig things, you know, right. Like right, right.
0: things that require them to make decisions yes. and be functional
1: and communicate, yeah. and you know, yeah. yeah.
0: And also to get in touch with the material, which probably involves some degree of intimacy and forming a good relationship with yourself.
1: Um, There's a a movie about it, a documentary. They put on um, A Few Good Men. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, And, you know, they were in the yard helping each other with lines and character development and things like that. And just seeing them all come together and form these really positive relationships with each other. Yeah. Because of this program is yeah. fantastic and that was how I pit, pitched my my shirk application to the government mm-hmm. and then I just press send and now I'm just crossing my fingers right um, but it's I definitely did use evidence based it's interesting approaches. to me how
0: much resistance there is to evidence because people feel moral outrage yes like when it comes to like certain objective measures like evidence is evidence mm-hmm. and like it just is the world we live in yeah and no matter how much someone's religious text may say this is wrong mm-hmm if it is the way the world functions, then we can either ignore the data, spend money and lives on it, just for some adherence to some doctrine, yeah. or we can just look at the data, genuinely consider like what kind of society we want to live in. And yeah. that's the question I, I think we'll leave um, our audience with today is like, what kind of society do you want to live in? Yeah. If it, if it costs money to have programs like this, like boarding programs where people can go to live to learn theater and make connections and have access to counselors if that costs money but it's less money than our current system would you be okay with anyone applying to go there and essentially being accepted
1: and my you know the question that I pose to people who um, maybe oppose my kind of more more liberal stance on prison programs and and offering compassion to everyone who's been in prison is you know what I'll, i would say a good portion of these people are going to be into your, in your communities they're going to get right. out they're going to come into c- your communities they're going to get jobs in your communities how do you want them to be when they get out do right. you want them to be angry and resentful and have no skills and no ability to communicate with others and have a poor relationship with themselves and then just end up doing the same things that they were doing, but in your community. Or do you want them to be happy and healthy and positive, and really emotionally balanced? Because we have
0: the technology, we know we how f- these things work. At we least, we absolutely a fair do. Yeah, we certainly know how to do better than we're currently doing.
1: Yeah, and th- th- you know, there's always going to be people who the programs do not work for. Right. And that's fine. It's totally fine because how many
0: how many people can we cut out? of the system how many people can we not have to pay for how many millions can we save just by getting marijuana offenders out of prisons like literally just that
1: we're still working on that i think yeah Yeah.
0: but like are those the people that you're worried about being dangerous in your community probably not so why are you spending tens of millions of dollars if i mean probably hundreds of millions Mm -hmm. of dollars to keep marijuana users locked up and you know what i mean like it's it's so interesting to me that people will make these arguments about fringe cases, but what about murderers? They have to stay in jail. Sure, okay, I'm not even going to... I mean, I, I would argue that in some context. But I have, yeah. But for now, we don't necessarily need to make that argument. Mm-hmm. I think it's much, much better to take the easy path. Yeah. And again, this delves into territory of, don't worry, we'll come back for you. Oh, wait, we forgot to go back for those people.
1: Well, I think I think we should start with low-level offending because yes. that's definitely more of the prison population.
0: Right, and I think, especially if we're looking at potentially, you know, racialized sentencing where people are getting yes. insane sentences, they're probably getting those sentences for lesser crimes and simply getting the high end of sentencing.
1: Yeah. I mean, if if you have over a certain amount of drugs on you, you could be charged with trafficking. Sure. And that carries a much heavier sentence than just possession. Sure. sure. And then with that is more stigma. You know, you right. apply for a job and they see, oh, you were a drug trafficker yeah you know and all all of all a rap sheet is is just a list of offenses right um and when you come out of jail if, if people see that like probation officer or something all they see is a list of offenses they don't see Or they might not see the work that you've done right whether it's by yourself or with other people in prison you know like so there's
0: no way you can like apply for programs to have those programs added to a rap sheet so I that think it shows th- like
1: i think they are when you're on parole okay the parole board definitely sees that because the parole board has to see that you're trying right um they have to see that you're trying that you're sorry and that you've changed right and that you acknowledge that what you've done was wrong wrong. yeah Yeah. that's kind of the ideal but even there are people who do that and they still get denied right and those i don't know like what the criteria is and like how that
0: might be impacted by race those kinds of things Interesting. Because when I
1: first started in criminology, coming back, I wanted, mm. to, I wanted to get into parole and probation. And now I'm into research.
0: Which is probably a much less
1: upsetting place to be yeah. if I had to take I a wild guess. I mean, I don't want to decide what so the rest of someone's life is going to be like. That just seems just so crushing to me.
0: Then again, I'm sure plenty of people who are in parole... Um, might be really happy that they have the way they have an opportunity to positively impact a percentage yeah. of people they see. Yeah. And that, like, their support could be the difference between someone going back to prison and living a functional
1: life. Yeah. So yeah. I can see how that might be rewarding work. I mean, I'm, yeah, but at the same time, like, I wouldn't w- want to review, like, a Paul Bernardo. I don't know who that is, but I'm assuming it's someone quite serious. Yes. Um, Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka. Oh, that, yes. the well, Ken do I know her? The Ken and better. Barbie murders. Yeah. That's what they
0: called them. Um, I mean, terrible name, but also... Terrible name.
1: He was up for parole last year. Yeah, last year.
0: And you have to try and evaluate if he's reformed, quote-unquote.
1: Yeah. And if you've lived in
0: Canada... How are you not biased? Yeah. There's no way to have unbiased people with the media coverage and the way that shows have referenced it. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: It's become a living part of our cultural memory.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, being on a parole board and coming up with somebody that infamous... Yeah. In the
0: room it, with you. It's already going to affect your judgment.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, depending on what you've been through in your life, it may cause trauma because you totally. probably have to read through some of that. Yeah. I don't know how one would get through that.
0: Yeah. We definitely have a sense of, of things being unforgivable as humans. Mm-hmm. It's a tough one, but yeah. again, we're talking about a fringe case, right? Yes, We're totally. talking about a small percentage yeah. number. Yeah,
1: this is a very, very small percentage of people who are in prison.
0: Right, and when you're talking about the bear share, how many did you say for Indigenous folks that were in prison, like percentage-wise of the population? 25? Like roughly a quarter? That's a
1: rough number. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's increasing.
0: And what did you say, really? Yeah. Proportion is increasing for Indigenous I folks?
1: I believe so, yeah. That was what I. That was what I last
0: read. Sure, you can send me the paper, and if there's any mistake, I'll update it in the intro Yeah So we'll just assume that that's correct for now, you can look th- it up if you want
1: I think so, yeah Sure, um,
0: and what did you say they were for, like, with they? What did you What did you say the Indigenous percentage was as a portion of the Canadian population? Or the population of people living in what we call Canada?
1: I'm just gonna Google this, because I, I believe it's changed
0: Okay Feel free to uh, look up stats
1: Oh, it just gives me groups. I want to know population.
0: So we even touched a little bit on, uh, you can keep looking stuff up, we even touched a little bit on um, what it, what it looks like for addicts when they get out of prison, just mm-hmm. by, by virtue of talking what it looks like when people get out of prison. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is basically all the questions I had for today. Perfect. Yeah, so you can let me know what the numbers are um, for indigenous folks in prison versus the general population. I will throw them in the podcast info.
1: Yes, it's 49 Okay, percent the national population. Okay, and yeah, it's somewhere around twenty five percent, and then women make up forty percent.
0: Indigenous women make up forty percent in of prisons.
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: Kind of depressing stats. Yeah. So it's clear we have a problem in Canada. Yeah. Um, not that it wasn't clear before, but those are pretty clear numbers. Yeah.
1: It's okay. they're they're pretty shocking and they're pretty they're pretty heart wrenching. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you for coming on the show, Yana. It thank was you for lovely having, me. having you today. Thank you. So how did you like it, Intimates? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash intimateinteractions or directly on patreon.com slash Salmon. Both communities are easy to find from intimatepodcast.com. So what are you waiting for? Go join the free Intimates community and start connecting with others. I'll see you on there. Disclaimer. I apologize if I said something that hit a nerve or played off a hateful idea or stereotype. I'm open to being called in. Chances are, in six months, I'll look back aghast and see something problematic I've since grown from. I'm certainly not perfect, but I am trying to be mindful of the voices I lift up and the perspectives I encourage. You can email feedback to podcast at victorsalmon.com. Thanks for your kindness. Attribution. The tracks I use are published under the Creative Commons Attribution License. The intro track was lost souls by portrayal and the outro track was restoration by uncle milk land acknowledgement i apologize first for any pronunciations i might butcher i wanted to acknowledge that i recorded this podcast on the unceded traditional coast salish territories of the musqueam kwantlen Stazuminus, stolo Sawasan, and slayowatooth nations shout out to the sikwepemek nation on whose land I got my degree. Considering the Kamloops Indian Residential School closed only in 1996 when I was 10, I have found nothing but unending patience and kindness in the Te Kamloops Te Sikwepmek folks with whom I've interacted. Let's never forget genocide in the hope we don't make the same dehumanizing, cruel mistakes again. Thank you.